Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Weird World Podcast. Hi. Hi. My name's Carrie. I'm, I'm Dee. Emma. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know it goes to me. We've rehearsed this, you guys. We really haven't. I'm Dean. I'm Emma. Okay. That was better. And we're there. We'll fix that in post. We're going to talk about something weird. This is the first part of a two-part episode on the Lizzie Borden case, a classic American mystery. Care anything to add? What? Is it a mystery, though? Stop it. <laughs> yes, okay. it, I mean, it could even have been suicide. <laughs> murder, suicide. Well, murder, yeah. No, I think I think a dual suicide. They both axed each other to death. So, part one, we're going to talk about the murder itself and the case. And then part two, we'll get into the trial and the outcome of that. So, enjoy. Here's part one. This is a classic, one of the most classic murder mysteries in the history of the United States of America. And indeed, I'm going to go ahead and say the world, I'm assuming. I don't know. Probably not. (laughs) Overseas folks, tell us if you've heard of this one. It is the story of Lizzie Borden. Time to sing the song? It's it's more of a nursery rhyme, but go ahead, please. Please do. Lizzie Borden uh, supposedly took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. They have the axe part correct. Mm-hmm. They, they have the sequence correct. Right. The mother, Abby Borden, died before the father, Andrew Borden. But do they have the perpetrator correct? Was it indeed Lizzie Borden? Or the number of wax. Yeah. The number of wax is way off. (laughs) No question that's wrong. It's called poetic license. Yes. Yeah, 40 and 41 just sounded good. They could have made 20 and 21 and been a lot closer, but they went went big. They went for the the shock factor. I suppose so. Gave her father 147 (laughs) wax. So let's find out. First, let's set the stage, the milieu, if you will. Okay. Okay. Big words. Thanks. Andrew Borden was the child of a well-to-do family. Mm. They lived in Fall River, Massachusetts. This that's is the, the dad, right? Yes, that's the dad. He struggled, though, when he went off on his own in his career. He struggled for a while and lived very frugally. He was classic, you know, New England, taciturn, frugal, tight with money, all that stereotype. He pretty much fit it. Had the whole kind of Lincoln beard vibe going on, that thing. Mm. So... He eventually, though, made a lot of money and started becoming pretty wealthy. He first, his first business foray that really worked was selling caskets. Ooh. Oddly enough. More I guess you really can't say as ironic as everyone dies. Right. Yep. I was going to say, everybody needs one eventually. I don't know. Except me. Burn me. I don't need one. That's right. You're going to a body farm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't want a casket either. I don't either, but I don't want to go to a body farm. Just so you I know. I want you to plant me in the ground and let me grow. Well, we could do that. That's a thing. It is. Well, I, I know a guy who who is literally in that, well, was in that business. Yeah. They plant you in, in, in a tree. Andrew Borden was in a variety of businesses, like he owned office buildings and things like that. So he's very well-to-do. He also owned textile mills, and his net worth was estimated about $300,000. This is like 1890-ish or so, which one source I read said that was like eight to 8.5 million bucks. So Jesus. 
wealthy guy. Mm-hmm. Not too bad. Not too bad. Despite this, though, they lived very modestly. They lived in a small house. You can go on Google Maps or whatever and see the house right now. It is at 92 Second Street in lovely Fall River, Massachusetts. It used to be, the, the address was different, but that's the current address. And it's now, of course, is a bed and breakfast, obviously, naturally. Of course, mm-hmm. of course. Spend the night in the murder room. But it, and it is pretty much the same house. It, but it, it was, just think of a, of a three-story house. I, I think the third story is more of an attic, basement, and a little barn slash utility room in the back. No fence around it, but on a small lot. It was kind of a townhome. That it was, it was near downtown Fall River. Mm-hmm. Whereas by this time, all of the glitterati of Fall River had moved to a place called The Hill, where they had big homes up on a hill. Mm-hmm. But no, Andrew, despite being very well able to afford that, lived frugally in their small townhome. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong at all. Warren Buffett does it. Does he? Yeah. Yeah. He lives in a... He lives in a small home. 1,400 square foot tract home in yeah. a, a bad part of Omaha. I don't know if it's a bad part of <laughs> Omaha, but yeah, he lives in a very small... Does he really? Small home, okay. yeah. All right. Good for Warren. Still but then He has never been axe murdered, so he's, that's where the, the difference is, yeah. yeah. Yet. So, actually, I said two, I think it was three stories. Are we going to gloss over mom threatening to kill Warren Buffett? <laughs> Is he threatening to kill Warren Buffett? <laughs> no, not me, but he's made a march out for those kids. <laughs> you mean kids in general, like trick-or-treaters? You mean his kids? His kids. So you're now basically casting all kinds of aspersions on Warren Buffett's children. Yeah. Although that's there's no motive because he has publicly said he's not leaving his money to his children. Oh, and maybe that's sure the motive. Some of that. So if he Let's dies, get a little tasty, they're not tasty. getting it. Well, we'll see. This house, though, was... It had no indoor plumbing and no electricity, both of which were already pretty normal. So it was a little beyond frugal. Interesting. But for well-to-do homes, would have had those things by this point. Sister Emma. What? Emma Borden. No way. She was the older sister of Lizzie. We named you after her. We did. Oh, God. She was born in 1851. <laughs> she was nine years older than Lizzie, who was therefore born in. Go. I didn't hear the phrase. 1851, Emma was born. In Nine years older than Lizzie. She's really pa- failing this test. 1860. 42. She's older. No. She, Emma oh. was right. You oh, said I, she was nine so years Lizzie older than she was born, born in 1860. Let's cut this whole thing out. <laughs> so the girls, was right. the girls were brought up in a very, kind of a highly religious and strict household. What happened to their mother? You'll find out. Oh. They were members of the Congregationalist Church, but Emma was said to be more devout than Lizzie. Emma was like, although both were sometimes called White, I'm sorry, white. <laughs> Protestant nuns. Really? Unmarried. Un... Very devout. Yes, very, very devout. No sex. No sex. Virginal, older matrons who were Protestants were sometimes called Protestant nuns. And very, you know, taught in Sunday school and did all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. The girl's mother, Sarah, she died in 1863 when Lizzie was just three years old. Oh. She made 12-year-old Emma promise to take care of her little sister, Lizzie for the rest of her life. And Emma did sort of dote and was very protective of little Lizzie. Three years later, after Sarah, the mom, died, Andrew married, remarried Abby Gray. She was a stout woman, (laughs) about six years younger than Andrew. Of course she was. So she lived in that house. So the the two sisters, by the time it happened, they were 41 and 32. Yeah, Lizzie was 32, Abby was right, 41, never married. By the time married. the crime happened? Or? Yes. Yeah. In 1892 oh, when it happened, they were, I mean, they were matrons. They were... And that was not common for those times, was not it not? Not uncommon. 
for that kind of a household, but not okay, super common. No, sense, usually yeah. you went out and had a husband and started a family, but, but it's yeah. not crazy uncommon. Yeah, I mean, if you were unmarried, you'd stay at home. Yeah, with your you parents. didn't have, you didn't go to college, you didn't have a career. Yeah. Right. If you right. didn't get married for whatever reason, you stayed a virgin and you stayed at home. Or it sounds you like hell. Became a school teacher. Are both? Mm-hmm. I don't she was like a Sunday. That. Lizzie was actually a Sunday school teacher. Mm-hmm. The other member of the household who lived in was Bridget Maggie Sullivan. The Irish maid and cook. Okay, now you have the scene. So it's the father, stepmother, two girls, <laughs> and the cook slash maid, Maggie. Or we're going to call her Bridget. Things were tense in this household. Andrew gave all three of these grown-ass women a small allowance each week, and that, that was it. Remember, he was very wealthy. Yeah. They, all three, including the stepmom, got this small allowance, and if they didn't spend it wisely, they were done. Instead of this life of luxury that especially Lizzie yeah. thought they should be leading, they, they live in, in this small house with a stepmother they hated, with no money, mm-hmm. nothing to spend on. They couldn't go out and buy the fancy things. Lizzie especially, she wanted to live a little bit larger. She wanted a, a big house on the hill. Where I she had friends who lived there. She wanted stuff. She wanted the newest hats and the newest fashions, things like that. And she wasn't getting yeah. any of it. But not only that, but they kind of lived like they're still kids. I mean, they had chores to do. They had, you know, okay, your chore. They, they had they had to do certain things, doing cooking and cleaning and things like that. And this is again with no electricity and an outhouse and a and it's just it was it was a, a different life than especially Lizzie. Lizzie really chafed under this life and, and wanted more and more and more. And since she had, she had virtually no prospects of marrying, she wouldn't have a, no means of living on her own. I mean, she's basically stuck there living like this until they died. And that, that's, think about it that way. She could have found a widow or a widower to marry. I suppose, but... Were you yeah. not paid money when you were a Sunday school teacher? Uh, probably, probably not. No. Interesting. Probably not. So she was not loving it, not loving mm-hmm. life. Lizzie as you recall, was only six years old when her father remarried, still just never got along with Abby. It's one thing for, what, uh, Emma would have been 15. You know, Mm -hmm. 15-year-olds don't always get along with a stepchild. But six years old, you think they would, but she did not. She never Mm -hmm. warmed to uh, Abby. It was not clear if his little both. It was a very headstrong Lizzie, but also kind of a gruff Abby as well, who had children from a previous marriage, by the way, and had family from a previous marriage. In fact, Lizzie called her stepmother Mrs. Borden. (laughs) <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. She would even tell the police after the event that she thought Abby was a gold digger. And Bridget, the maid, told police that it had gotten so bad that they never took meals together. They would serve dinner in shifts. They'd serve Abby and Andrew dinner first, and then they would clear out, and they would serve Emma and Lizzie wow. dinner second. Damn. And this is entirely because of Abby's presence at the table. She, her dad was, you know, she got along with her dad and she liked her dad, but it was, you know, he was a typical Massachusetts 19th century dad. Yeah. It wasn't a real close, warm relationship. So in May of 1892, Andrew took an axe. Andrew Borden took an axe. Okay. Into the barn. <laughs> where he dispatched a whole roost of pigeons that Lizzie had been raising in the barn because he said that the boys, neighborhood boys, were like throwing things in the barn and trying to, or even shooting at the pigeons mm-hmm. to try to kill them. So they were like a nuisance. And so he killed them all. You can't have, it's like, we can't have nice things anymore because little shit kids, mm-hmm. basically. 
So some, they're her pets, basically. They're right? effectively her pets, and he went in there and wow. slaughtered all of her her pigeon pets. I'd be pretty pissed. Yeah, off. It, it said that she was very upset. She would later say, "No big deal. I wasn't. Mm, that, I wasn't sure. that put off by it." Yeah. In July, both Lizzie and Emma left the house after an argument, and they spent a couple of weeks with relatives in New Bedford, which is a town about 15 miles away, a little bit bigger town than Fall River, where they had relations. They told neighbors, oh, they, they went on vacation to visit relations. But it was well known that is, they had had a fight and it just had come to a boil and they needed like a cooling off period effectively. Wow. Mm-hmm. And hopefully things would cool down. And when they got back, everything would be fine. Sure. <laughs> it, it was not. Remember now, again, the sisters are at this point are matrons. Mm-hmm. They're Amber's 41, Lizzie's 32. Well, both you're are, just hammering that home, aren't you? Well, it's because I want to, I want to, <laughs> it's important because both. They're essentially wards over their father. They have no means to support her on their own. Right. If their father died before Abby died, she and her family would get everything. Right. They literally wondered, are we going to be out in the street? Yeah. He, he, apparently, he had left everything to Abby, or, or the yeah. will was all went to Abby. So, And they really just chafed under both Abby and this whole household. Again, Lizzie wanted to go move and then live a little bit higher and nicer. But we're still... Lately, their father had even started giving assets and gifts to Abby's family. What? Hmm. The, when Abby's sister got a house, that was it. The sisters would live at both Emma and a Lizzie. A house. He, oh, my he, God. He bought, he bought Abby's sister, their step-aunt, a house. And he'd been, he'd been bestowing these gifts upon Abby. And, they, and so they felt like Abby was, you know, in, obviously influencing this. Again, they thought she was a gold digger mm-hmm. and, and distributing assets that they thought of as their inheritance mm-hmm. are now going into Abby's family, which they don't get along with. So they went to their dad after this happened and they demanded that their father give them the house that they had grown up with, with their mom, which they still own as a rental property. And he agreed. He sold it to the two sisters for a dollar, and then a short time later, which would be just a few weeks before they were murdered, he bought it back from them for $5,000. So it was some little quasi-money, inheritance money laundering way (laughs) to get them 5,000 bucks for themselves. Mm. So, but this came after a a tremendous amount of tension with Abby and her family and seeing their inheritance kind of dissipate. But then they didn't have the house. No, they had five thousand bucks. Yeah, I'm sure with respect, Lizzie. Lizzie was younger than Emma, but by all, Lizzie was much stronger character, and much more willful. And mm-hmm. from anything I've read, she kind of ruled the roost, at least as far as the sisters went. All of this kind of low rent family squabbling would come out before and during the trial, but it does paint this picture of this really just this stifling house, mm-hmm. tremendous restrictions. Total turmoil, tremendous just tensions seething underneath the surface or, or, or not. And one, again, that Lizzie desperately wanted to be free of. So then there's just a few days before the murders occurred, everyone in the house got violently sick. Mm-hmm. Someone thought maybe it was the mutton. Because like apparently they had left like a big mutton and you left it simmering in a pot for like days and just sort of picked at it and created meals from it as you, as you, you know, different days. What like exactly uh, is mutton? Sheep. Okay. I'm sure they did the same with beef, but they had been eating mutton for a few days and some people thought, okay, maybe it just had gone bad. Maybe 
But Abby, the stepmom, thought that they had been poisoned. Perhaps it was said one of Andrew's business enemies from as many, he was said not to be a very, he was not a well-liked man in the business world. He, he cut a hard bargain. So maybe that was a suspicion. Maybe it was someone trying to kill Andrew. Hmm. But anyway, it appears it's very possible they were poisoned just a few days before they were axed. Why are you chuckling, Carrie? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is intriguing. And we'll see a little it bit. It is in, intriguing. In a, in a minute, we'll see if it's even more intriguing with something uh, Lizzie did. So it is August 3rd, the day before the murders. Uncle John Morse arrives at the Borden house in the evening of August 3rd. His name, his full name is, this is John Vinicum Morse. He's their mother's brother. So he's Emma and Lizzie's blood uncle. He had come over to visit for a few days. Some folks speculate that they were there to talk business and, do, and, and Uncle John wanted to do some business deal and, and was seeking investment from Andrew. Mm-hmm. And some folks speculate also that this made Lizzie and possibly Emma too even more angry. Like, oh, mm-hmm. there goes more of our inheritance. He's going to blow sure. it on, on Uncle John, goddammit. So it just, it just set the household even more on edge. John slept in the guest room on the second floor. Indeed, you guessed it right. The murder room. Oh. The, the eventual murder room. And so on the morning of August 4th, the household inside the house consisted of John Morris, Andrew and Abby, Emma and Lizzie, and Bridget, the maid. And Andrew and John got up, had breakfast, and they went, they went to Andrew's, I guess, study there on the first floor and talked business. So they went over whatever business deal they were going to go into. They chatted about that in, in the sitting room for about one hour or so after breakfast. Okay. John left at 8.48 a.m. If you would like to start a timeline, please feel free. Okay. So okay. John left at 8.48. He would later say he went to buy a pair of oxen because that apparently oh. was still a thing in Massachusetts in 1892. <laughs> I find that weird. Kansas, maybe. Massachusetts seems well, odd. What do you think? Massachusetts is one big Boston? Yeah, one big Boston. That's all I think I of. I think so, yeah. I do. I do think of it as that. This is actually in Western Massachusetts, so it makes perfect sense, but it still yeah. seems weird to me that people went to buy a pair of oxen in 1892. I don't Probably know. Probably farms in Massachusetts to this day. Plenty of farms in Massachusetts. He then went to visit a niece who lived in Fall River. He did not live in Fall River. He had a niece there, so his morning, he said, I'll be back by noon for lunch and left at 848. So Andrew then left for a walk and also to look in on some of his businesses. He is said to have left right around 9 a.m., so not long after Uncle John left, okay? Okay. 9 a.m. Got it. Abby, at that point, then went upstairs at around 9. Abby, after husband Andrew Mm -hmm. left at 9, Abby went upstairs to tidy up the guest room where Uncle John slept. It was said later this should have been a chore for Emma or Lizzie, but she did it. I, I, I don't know. It's weird. So she is up there for sure until between 9 a.m. and 10.30 when Bridget the maid would, you'll, would go looking for her and, and realize she was gone. So Abby's death, I, I'm, I'm not, that's not a spoiler alert there. Okay. We, we know she's going to die. <laughs> Abby was murdered sometime between 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. Okay. okay. We know that for sure. Abby was facing her killer when the killer with an axe swung down onto her face. She was 
slammed for, uh, on the, kind of the side of the head, just above the ear, and then the blow from the axe knocked her, she must have been unconscious, because mm-hmm. it knocked her straight face down, slammed her to the floor, because she had bruises and injuries on her face and nose. Yeah. So she apparently was hit with the axe, facing her attacker, n- must have knocked her out immediately, and wow. she just, boom, went face down, lying on the floor at the side of the bed in the guest room. Jesus. Mm. The killer then just started whacking away at her, kind of her back, her head, the back of her head, up her shoulders, Jesus. striking her 17 times, with not f- 40, 17 times with just this flurry of hatchet blows. Going. With the blade end? Or with, with the blade the... end, yes. And it, it, was apparent, it was more of a hatchet than an axe. I mean, people say axe, and it, what's the difference? A hatchet's a little smaller, smaller yeah. than an axe. So, so most folks believe it was more of a hatchet-sized weapon than a, a mm. big old, don't think of a big old lumber Heavy. axe. Yeah, yeah. Like I was going to say that would be... Yeah. A little hard to continuously. Yeah. It, it's, it was never completely clear to the coroner what blow killed her. But like I said, you see that reported, but given the fact that if he, she fell straight down, she was probably pretty close, I mean... To death. To death from that first yeah. blow. Yeah. Andrew got back from his walk at 10.30. That's how we know that Abby was nowhere to be seen at, at that point, Right. So that's how that's how we we're pretty sure that she was we we investigators yeah. <laughs> we the Fall River Police Department yes were she was killed between nine and ten thirty when he got back there at ten thirty from his walk his key would not open the door for some reason I don't know if it was stuck or it just was a, a bad key hmm. he started knocking and Bridget the maid went to let him in and she did find the door stuck. So she had to struggle to open the door. And while she's doing this, she says that she heard Lizzie giggling behind her from somewhere. She didn't turn around to look at her, but she's pretty sure just from the sound of the voice, the the giggling could be heard, that Lizzie was on the staircase. And this Mm -hmm. is important because if, if you're about halfway up the staircase, you cannot fail but see straight into the open door of the guest room where her stepmother lay in a, in a pool of blood. So if Bridget's hearing can be trusted, she was giggling. Now, now she can't swear that she's giggling at, at the fact that she can't let her dad, her dad can't get in the house. Right. But she thought that. Yeah. And she thought she, from the sound that she must have been on the staircase. Lizzie would deny that she was on the staircase. Okay. Or that she even, she, even yeah. did, she even giggled at all. So again, if upstairs, that's very damning evidence, but we can't be for sure that she was. For her part, Lizzie would later say that this wasn't true. She had not been upstairs, uh, and she wasn't giggling at what was you know her, her dad not coming in the house. I have a question. Yes. Have we established where Emma is? Oh, I'm sorry. Emma is gone. She went and had, I think she even left the night before, or, or early that morning, she left to visit friends. She's mm. gone the whole day. She okay. Had, she had a rock solid alibi. In fact, in fact, I'm sorry, she was in New Bedford. She had gone back to those relations in New Bedford, again, a town about 15 minutes away. Hmm. I'm sorry, 15 miles away. Convenient by, by the time, alibi, seven Emma. hours. Uh, <laughs> is, is a very convenient alibi. In fact, it's a rock-solid alibi, mm-hmm. although, as we'll see at the very end here, not everybody agrees that it's a rock Well, because they're stupid. But anyway. <laughs> so finally, they're able to open the door. Andrew comes in, and right away he says, you know, where's Abby? Where's my wife? Lizzie tells her father that, oh, a messenger came by to the house with an urgent appeal to Abby that a friend was sick, would she go tend to the friend? Okay? This didn't happen. Because no one else was witness to that. And as we know, 
Abby was up in the guest room in the second story, very, very dead. So, and, and Bridget, it was Bridget who heard Lizzie tell her dad this? Yes. That's how we know? Yes. Okay. So that was a lie. Yeah. So she lied about that. Lizzie then claimed her dad was tired from his walk, so he went into the sitting room, and she removed his boots, and she put mm. on his slippers, mm. like every daughter should do. Mm-hmm. Like every daughter should do. Oh, my God. I remember pulling off my dad's cowboy boots, do to you? be honest. Yeah. I'm never taking your shoes off your feet, ever. I mean, we didn't do it every day. Here, take my sandals off. No, well, you've put got my slippers gross on. toes. I also got <laughs> no, my toes are much better now that I don't play basketball. Okay, fine. I also got paid a dime to iron his shirts, which rip off. Yeah, you were pretty much exploiting child labor. Slave labor, yeah. I know. Yeah, that's, well, it's not technically a slave. Well, I guess. You could leave. <laughs> could I? <laughs> you could have left. So... She put on his slippers, allegedly, and then he went into the den sitting room for a nap on the sofa. Later, crime scene photographs were taken of the crime, and guess what Andrew had on his feet? Boots. His boots. <gasps> his boots were not removed, and she did not put on his slippers, so she lied about that as well. Huh. Maybe Unless the killer he, put him back on. Yeah. Yeah, the killer did, or, that or seems really plausible, you No, know, I'm going to take a nap. I need my boots on. I'm gonna Maybe somebody on. came into the room, and Andrew... Woke up, put his boots on real quick. Go on. I'm listening. It's and then got hit. Yep. Okay. I like killed. it. Hold on there. Uh, no, since he was absolutely prone <laughs> and asleep when he was attacked. He never saw the axe hit, his, hit him in the face. Lizzie then told the maid, Bridget, that, hey, guess what? I heard a local department store is having a sale. You can go if you want. Why don't you go? Leave, please. Leave, please. Bridget, I'm assuming to the consternation of Lizzie, said, oh, so I'm, I'm free of my duties for a while? Okay, well, I actually have a terrible headache, so I'm going to go upstairs to my room in the attic and lie down for a while. I'm not going to go to the department store. So Lizzie goes, okay, whatever, bitch. <laughs> and so that's what Bridget did. Bridget then went upstairs to her attic room to lie down. This was just before 11 o'clock, apparently. Some people say 10.58. And so, it was probably 3,000 degrees up there. Oh, my God. It was August uh, of, of Massachusetts. Yeah, it was, it was actually a stifling hot day. Yeah. It was. Wow. That Which, sounds... then again, I wonder, I wonder how hot it was. You always hear, like, in England, like, oh, my God, it's brutal. It's 84. I don't know if we're going to live through this. And, yeah. Okay, welcome to California, dick. It's 111 one, yeah, one day. But it was still, it was hot. It was your non-air-conditioned, yeah. mm-hmm. small-ass house. Yeah, now probably seven-foot ceilings. So, yeah, not good. So, according to later testimony, Bridget said she left Lizzie, and she thought it was 10.58. So let's say it was a little before 11 a.m. She left Lizzie. The dad's in the, in the sitting room having a little nap. She goes upstairs. Lizzie, for her part, would claim... And by the way, so if this whole slipper thing happened, that it would have happened around now. But Lizzie said that she then left the house after Bridget went upstairs, and she went to the barn at the back of the house. And again, now think of it as a separate outbuilding at the back of the lot. It's one of those narrow but longer kind of lots, but it's not that far away. They also had a, a cellar, but the cellar was accessed from the old school doors in, in, in the back of, at the back of the house, not from right. the house itself. Mm-hmm. So she, she claims she went to the back of the house and she was in the barn for 20 minutes, quote, 20 minutes or possibly a half hour. Okay. She had gone to the barn to find, she said, some metal like iron or tin to fix the door. So the, the door was stuck. She thought, yeah. I'll go find some metal in the barn. 
I'll fix the door. I don't know. The people were very resilient. I would have no idea, A, no clue. how to do that. B, why would metal help me? <laughs> C, do you have tin or iron in your barn? Yeah. D, you have a barn? <laughs> All these things would strike me very quickly, and I would just call someone to fix it. So here's the thing, though. Obviously, you're going to take 20 or 30 minutes to go find metal. I think you give up after two minutes. Yeah. Well, the police asked her about that. And she said, well, actually, what happened is that I, I um, snuck out to the barn and ate a bag of pears up in the loft. Oh. So I climbed up to the loft of the barn, and I ate a bunch of pears. That's why I was out there for 20 or 30 minutes. <laughs> sure. First of all. Did she have to hide that she was eating pears? pears? I don't know. Yeah. I don't, it does seem like she's sneaking. It, yeah. it, it, it's never written as if she was sneaking, but it does seem like you're sneaking. Why yeah. do you go up to the loft to, you know, yeah. eat pears and to the loft of the barn, which is, again, an outbuilding. Just go to your room, man. Regardless, it was 11.10. You know, keep in mind the timing here. Mm-hmm. So it was just before 11 when Bridget went upstairs. At 11.10, 12 minutes later or so after Bridget had gone upstairs, so not 20 or 30 minutes later, 12 minutes later, Bridget heard Lizzie cry, quote, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. Again, Maggie was the nickname for, yeah. for Bridget. So Bridget rushes downstairs, and there, indeed, she finds Andrew on the sofa. Dead. Very dead. He was hacked 10 or 11 times with a hatchet. Yeesh. One eye was sliced in half. Ah. His wounds were still bleeding. Oh. Indicating they were very recent. And the police would later estimate that his time of death was right around 11 o'clock. So it appears that they had found him just about 10 minutes after, roughly 10 minutes after he died. And at this it, point, no one had found the stepmom? No one has found the stepmom yet, no. If his wounds are still bleeding, doesn't that mean he's still alive? It doesn't mean he's still alive, necessarily. I mean, they, they can just sort of be oozing out. They just they weren't like gushing, but they were oozing. Okay. So your body, your heart stops, so you don't have that arterial pump action, but right. you can still definitely bleed. For quite huh. some blood time. Still the blood still is, is, is in your body, yeah. yeah. Gravity. And, and the murder, yeah. And the, the blows were directly to his face. So he's basically, think, there's a sofa. It's on, okay, think of the door. And on that side of the, mm-hmm. of, of the room, the sofa is on the other side of the door. So the, it's on, the sofa is, on the, is against the wall on the same side where the door is. Okay. Basically, he's open the door, and the sofa's right there, and his head is there. So... He would have never seen his attacker. Jesus. The person has an act right. just literally just turn to your left and start hacking. And yeah. that's right. what happened. So he almost certainly was dead without regaining consciousness in all likelihood. Yeah. Wow. But again, they kept on hacking away 10 or 11 times, which is a lot. 17 yes. for her, 10 or 11 for him. Which they say is personal and angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which does make sense. But I can see psycho killers being angry too. I don't know. Yeah. Or just psycho. Call me romantic. Yes. <laughs> Yes, but no, that is supposedly a hallmark of a personal Passionate anger. killers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Passion, a crime of passion. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the investigation. When the police first interviewed Lizzie, her story was all over the place. Right. She was incredibly inconsistent. She, in fact, she kind of always was. She told them she had heard various sounds before coming back into the house from the barn. Remember, she said, I was out in the barn when I came back into the house. And again, the timeline does not fit. Right. She said, oh, I heard... Like well, a grunt. Okay, I have an answer to yes. that. Yes, okay. As you're going about your business, you're not looking at the clock every three minutes. Yes. So, so she's you wrong could about be how off long. on your time. Yeah, and, and Bridget could be 
have been. Uh, yes. uh, it could have been a little further before, a little more before 11, which yeah. makes sense. He, he came back about 1030, I guess his agreement on that. So maybe it's 1045, maybe it's 1050. Uh-huh. Uh, but again, he was very recently killed. You're right. There, there is some, uh, some wiggle room on the timeline, but not a ton. Not a, not a bunch. It, it, yeah. it certainly wasn't, it was well after he came home at 1030. So let's say it was t- between 1050 and 11 when uh, Bridget went upstairs and it was, or 1050 and 1058 when Bridget went upstairs and it was almost immediately thereafter he was killed. Mm-hmm. Very, very quickly he was killed. So anyway, Lizzie said, I came back from the barn and into the house and I heard like a groaning sound or... No, maybe it was more like a scraping sound or then, no, you know, I thought I heard somebody calling out like in distress. She said all three of those versions mm-hmm. of, of hearing sounds as she came back from the barn. A couple of hours later, Lizzie said to the police that she had not heard anything at all upon reentering the house and, and she had no suspicions whatsoever that anything was wrong and that her dad was lying there dead. Mm-hmm. Lizzie also later said that she thought Abby had come home from her errand to see the sick friend that never occurred and that this must have happened after she found her father and before the police arrived because the timeline gets a little hinky here because at some point they couldn't find Mother Abby. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the police who went looking for her. It was a neighbor came over and Bridget the maid and they went to look for Abby. So I don't know if that was right after they found their dad before the police had arrived. I'm thinking probably so. Yeah. Yeah. And that it makes was, sense. Yes. And it was the neighbor and Bridget who got like halfway up the stairs. And again, you can't miss it. They right. saw her body laying crumpled in the guest room immediately and never even went the rest of the way upstairs. At least I don't, I, maybe they did. So throughout all of this, Lizzie was reported by the neighbor, the, the, the Bridget, and the cops as being just incredibly calm, cool, and collected. Very unemotional. The police on the scene thought she was the proverbial too calm. Like, right, uh, right. She seems too calm here. But despite this, despite having some fairly instant suspicions, and frankly, rightfully so, they didn't do basic forensic things. They didn't check her for blood. Our bloodstains, they didn't check her physical dress or body for any kind of physical evidence whatsoever. Well, I, but they probably just assume, I mean... What do you assume? You assume it's the, the madman who jumped in, whack, 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 two people an hour and a half, an hour to an hour and a half apart, and then left. Yeah. Is that what you assume? I mean, they're not. No, yeah, no one They're not going that. to assume it's the, the loving daughter. They absolutely did. Very quickly <laughs> yeah. they assumed. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those cases. They did, at most, peek into her room, but they didn't search it at all. This is on the day of August 4th. They didn't really search it at all. They didn't conduct any kind of organized, proper search because Lizzie came in and said, I'm not feeling so great. I'm going to lie down. They said, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, my God. And they left. So so the forensic, the search and the investigation on the scene of the day of was completely botched. To their credit, though, they did go downstairs and search the basement, the cellar. There they found... Two hatchets, two axes, and a hatchet head with the handle broken off. The break to the handle looked to the police like it was very new. So they immediately thought this might be the murder weapon, this hatchet head in the cellar. I don't know how you determine a new break. break. There's not cobwebs on it? Well, not, not cobwebs, but I think you can. You can look. It looks the wood looks fresh inside. The coloration looks 
fresh. The, like uh, it has no, just been exposed yeah, to oxygen. Yeah, there's no dirt on the, where the cut, not the, you know, where the break is, things like that. They also thought the axe head, I'm sorry, the hatchet head, looked like it had been, like someone had thrown dust and stuff on it to make mm. it look like, because the other axe, axes and hatches did look like they'd been undisturbed for a little while. This one hatchet head with a broken handle, at least to the police, I'm not sure how they determined this, thought yeah. that it looked faked. Like mm. it, huh. whoever, someone had thrown some dust on it. Yeah. None of these potential weapons were removed from the house at this time. Not one. Whoa. Not even the hatchet head. That's dumb. They're just, yeah. they, they sucked. The police also found out about the, all the family squabbling and stuff like that. And they were also told, presumably this is from Bridget, that a few days ago the family had been violently sick after eating dinner mm. earlier that week. So they went and they checked the milk supply. And apparently they, they took it to the lab and they checked it for poison. They didn't find any. Wow. I know. And the coroner, when they did the autopsies, would remove the stomachs from both Andrew and Abby and check the stomachs for poisoning. This is 1892, so it's not super sophisticated, but yeah. they did check the stomachs for poison and did not find any. Honestly, it almost appears the police were more diligent about this past potential attempted murder case right. a few days before right. than they were about the actual yeah. murder case sitting right in front of them. So Uncle John gets home eventually, right? To a you know a bunch of cops there, a big crowd. There's a mob in front yeah, of the house. It's a big mm-hmm. deal. All Fall River is out for the killings. Yeah. He though, have remember he was traveling. He wasn't from there. He still needed a place to stay. <laughs> so he spent the night of August fourth in the house. Oh God. Not not the guest room in the murder room <sighs> that people said that that's sort of a myth. That's not true. He spent. They had another room in the attic. He spent the night in the attic. I think. Well, Emma wasn't home, right? He could have stayed in her room. Possibly, but he, he, he didn't. He spent the night in the attic. Where did Li- Bridget sleep? Uh, That's where she slept. Yeah, I know. Maybe there's more than one room in the attic. I don't know. Huh. Lizzie, uh, Emma Emma got a, we'll go into this a little bit later, but Emma was, someone had sent a telegram to Emma and said, come back home right away. You know, Parents your parents dead. are dead. Jesus <laughs> Christ. They've been hacked. 17 and, and 11. What does that mean? We'll tell you when we get here. <laughs> so uh, that day, Alice Russell, very good friend of the sisters, especially of Lizzie's probably best friend. She came over for moral support. She stayed in the house as well. And that first night at least, maybe even the second night, I'm not sure the timing exactly, but the bodies of Emma and, of, I'm sorry, Abby and Andrew were laid out on mortician's boards in the dining room. Jesus. They, they threw some sheets over them. They kept him there? They kept him there. At least for that first night, they kept them there. Oh, God. Oh. I don't, don't know why, but yeah. good friend, room, yeah. Alice, you know, yeah. downstairs. I had are, a hard time keeping a dead pet body in the garage. Why are you keeping dead pet bodies in the garage, should I ask? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Never mind. I thought it was just some kind of weird hang-up of yours. So police set up a watch. Wait, we had to explain. What, about what? The dead pet body. He was no. hit by a car. And yes. It was we had late. a cat that was hit by the car. Yes. So. Too late to take him to the vet, so I had to take him the next morning. And Carrie kept him in the garage for six days. No. So did you. Six you were there. So <laughs> police set up a watch that night. During the night. For what? 
Just suspicious. Guard the body. Again, oh. they were almost immediately suspicious of Lizzie. Yeah, I would be too. And Shit. I, they had every reason to what be. What do you think? She's going to kill the rest of the people in the house? Uh, just to see if she did anything suspicious. And huh. turns out she did. So, oh, right. uh, <laughs> face. Screw total face there, Karen. So during the night, one of the cops that was keeping watch, he said he saw Lizzie enter the cellar with her friend Alice. They had like a kerosene lamp and she and Alice went down into the cellar. Again, you have to access it from the outside so he could see. And there's no fence. So he's just probably like across the street behind a tree, you know. Chilling. Yeah. yeah. In, a, in a car reading a newspaper <laughs> or something like that. Or maybe they had one of those big delivery cars, windowless, mm-hmm. and they, uh, something like that. All the electronics are yeah, inside Yeah, the equipment. He's wearing a headset. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, he's got a headset. So she was carrying, Lizzie was carrying a slop pail both women then fairly quickly exited, but then later that same night, Lizzie came back alone and went back down into the cellar. He apparently, this cop snuck close and I guess could look down the cellar stairs and he couldn't make out too much, but he said he, she was at the sink doing something, scrubbing something, cleaning something, but she was at the sink in the cellar doing something we don't know what. Had you been cleaning up the mess? Maybe. The next day, I mean, there's just literally a mob in front of their house. Yeah. With a crack it on. So on October 5th, August 5th, the next day, John Morris, he needs to leave the house to go about his business, whatever. He was immediately mobbed by the mob and they started following him. Oh, God. Just surrounding him. So he had to get help from the police who had to basically clear a path and get him back inside the house. Mm-hmm. So he's now almost a prisoner in the, in the murder house with, you know, with Lizzie, Emma, and Alice, and Bridget. Jesus. One of whom murdered the two people who are maybe still laid out on mortician's boards in the uh. dining room. I don't know. They've, hopefully they've taken them away by now. It was not until August 6th, two days after the murders, when the police finally enter the house to make a thorough search. They, they just Jesus. left it alone the next day. Yeah. They didn't come back and, and, and search. They finally, on August 6th, came to do a search, and only then did they inspect the clothing of the occupants and confiscate that hatchet head with the broken handle. My goodness. On that same evening of August, of August 6th, a police inspector who had been there earlier in the day, he went back to the Borden house, and he told Lizzie, you're a suspect. We think you maybe you think you murdered your parents. Uh-huh. This August sixth, the next morning, August seventh, he didn't arrest her. He just said we, we, we're suspicious. We think you may have done it. Right. August seventh, Lizzie goes downstairs. Alice, friend Alice, comes down into the kitchen, and she finds Lizzie is ripping up a dress in the kitchen, and she asks, "What are you doing?" And Lizzie says, "Oh, I'm." This dress got covered by paint. I brushed against wet paint. I'm going to burn it. Nope, hmm. nothing suspicious here whatsoever. No, I'm just going weird. to burn this dress. It's got paint on it. Is it red paint? I'm guessing so. Yep. Maybe a dark brown paint. I don't know. The next day, August 8th, the inquest was held. So it's four days after the murder, they, they hold the inquest. This is back in the day where shit happened fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although the, uh, this, you're going to find out later that it took quite a long time for this trial to start. But still, the inquest was fairly immediate. I've seen, I've read sometimes the inquest is literally the next day. Jesus. So Lizzie was not allowed to have a lawyer present at this inquest because by Massachusetts law at the time, there they were supposed to be private affairs, completely private. This is authorities and whoever they're talking to. That's it. It's not mm-hmm. a trial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she had no lawyer. 
By all accounts, though, she was, she was inconsistent. She was belligerent at times. She wouldn't answer questions at times. She wouldn't even answer questions that seemingly could help her. Mm-hmm. She would later say, and her doctor would agree, that she is on morphine. He prescribed morphine for her to calm mm. her down. Morphine was the 19th century Xanax. Nice. Yeah. So she may have been still affected by this morphine, maybe, possibly. possibly. Maybe. But regardless, her testimony did not look good for her. She also, at this point, she um, was very inconsistent, for instance, in she had three versions of what she was doing when her father got home. So again, her father got home at, at 10.30. That's when Bridget said the door went open and she thought she heard Lizzie behind her laughing from the stairs. She said, no, I was reading a magazine in the kitchen. Later in the question, she said, oh, I was ironing clothes in the dining room. Again later, she said, oh, I was actually coming down the stairs. So she had different versions of what exactly mm-hmm. she was doing. She also, again, claims she removed her father's boots and put on slippers, which we know cannot have been true. Right. Mm-hmm. So it didn't go well for her. And three days later, on August 11th, Lizzie Borden was arrested <gasps> and hauled into jail. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, that was the end of part one of the Lizzie Borden case. In case you can't hear the background, that's Alexa. Alexa, shut the hell up. Alexa, stop. I prefer my tone. So please, Carrie, tell them what they can. No, don't do that. Just go ahead and (laughs) (laughs) tune in to the next one. It'll be out next week. Since it's a two-parter, we're going to do this in back-to-back weeks. So please listen for part two. And thank you for listening to part one.